Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. In this episode, we talk about the history of professional football and the season of 1934. The Football History Rewind Series part number 75 is up, and it goes through the rules revisions, the big games, and the star players, and the top teams of the season. And it's all coming up for you in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another edition of Football History Rewind, part number 75, where we are going to go into the 1934 professional football season and talk about all the happenings that are going on there. But before we do... Let's make sure that you are aware that we have a newsletter that comes out each and every morning about 6.30 a.m. Eastern where you can catch up on everything that's going on in the pig pen. That's Pigskin Dispatch, Jersey Dispatch, Orville Mulligan Sports Writer, and many items from the Sports History Network as well. So easy to sign up for. Go to the show notes of this very podcast or the top of Pigskin Dispatch or JerseyDispatch.com and sign up for that free email daily newsletter. Now, 1934 in the NFL. It was the 15th regular season of the National Football League. There were some notable events from the 1934 season, and one of them was that they made a couple of rule changes in just the second year that they were using the new NFL rules and not using the NCAA college rules. Now, the first was it was determined that a forward hand-to-hand transfer of the ball made behind the line of scrimmage that would hit the ground before it was possessed by the second player was to be ruled as a fumble. So you may sit there and you think about that. It's a forward pass technically and if it's you know forward handoff, I think in today's NFL they would rule that an incomplete pass if it was fumbled and hit the ground without that possession gained by that second player taking the handoff. But they decided that year that it would be uh, a fumble and a live ball for anybody to uh, grab and possess. The second big rule change from that year was that incomplete passes were no longer a five-yard penalty. Remember what a a great uh, and grave uh, chance you were taking by throwing a forward pass in those early days. Yeah, it was almost a penalty. It was a penalty if you threw a pass and it was incomplete. Big uh, risk and reward there, unlike today where you just have that loss of down and no yardage uh, is lost or anything like that. So there were a few uh, venue changes uh, from the previous year as well. The Cincinnati Reds football team played each of the four home games at four different stadiums that year. Sounds kind of weird. 
they've played a game at Cincinnati's Crosley Field, at Dayton's Triangle Park. Remember, that's where the Dayton Triangles used to play. Uh, The Portsmouth Universal Stadium in Portsmouth, Ohio, not too far away from Cincinnati. And Xavier University's Corcoran Stadium. Now, speaking of the Cincinnati Reds, they made some big news in 1934 in the NFL. By They lost their first eight games, and then the NFL came down and suspended them because they had a failure to pay their dues to be a franchise in the National Football League. That'll get you kicked out real quick. Uh, NFL is a business, and uh, you got to pay your dues. Now, also in that year, this might be one of the bigger pieces of news before the season uh, the franchise in Portsmouth the Spartans finally succumbed to lack of funds uh, on March 24th 1934 the Portsmouth franchise was sold and moved to Detroit where they've resided as the Lions as their moniker ever since now the Portsmouth Spartans moved to Ohio uh, from Ohio to Detroit Michigan and were renamed to Detroit Detroit Lions, and the relocated franchise moved from Portsmouth's Universal Stadium to the University of Detroit Stadium to play their games in that first year as the Lions. The Green Bay Packers home games in Milwaukee were moved from Borchert Field to the stadium at the Wisconsin State Fair Park. Now the St. Louis Gunners franchise played their home games at Sportsman's Park there in St. Louis. And it was announced that the Ed Thorpe Memorial Trophy, which was established as the league's award for the National Football League champion, that it was going to be awarded uh, through 1967, when what took its place was the Super Bowl. Now, the host team for the NFL championship game would now alternate between the two divisions, with the Eastern Division champion hosting in the even-numbered years and the Western champion hosting in the odd-numbered years. So this 1934 season, of course, was the East time. Uh, whoever would win the East would get to host that NFL game. It was not at a neutral site in those NFL championships. And the, the stats leaders of the National Football League in 1934, you had Green Bay's quarterback, Arnie Erber, leading all passers with 799 yards in 1934 through the air. The leading rusher was the Chicago Bears rushing running back, uh, Beatty Feathers, who had 1,004 hard-fought yards on the ground uh, for the season. The top receiver with a whopping 264 yards gained through the air was Harry Ebding of the Detroit Lions. And you know, 264 doesn't sound like a lot in Herber's 799 yards passing, but remember, this was a run first league passing you know, it was a penalty up until this season They're just uh, starting to figure things out here and Herber's numbers are going to go up when uh, he has a, a young receiver coming up through the ranks real soon uh, it'll help out his game now the championship game is of special note and it was uh, the Chicago Bears in the season they went undefeated and won the West with no losses it was sort of a a tighter race in the West. Uh, Detroit had three losses, but Chicago had none. But over in the East, the New York Giants ended up winning that with an eight and five record, uh, much much worse. So, you know, the championship game was going to be the New York Giants hosting 
the Chicago Bears who were undefeated. So I'm sure the betting lines out there were everybody figured Chicago was just going to wipe the floor with the New York Giants. The Giants would have no choice, no chance, and uh, would just be, you know, whooping dogs by the powerful Chicago Bears. Now, this 1934 title game uh, in this year of change and innovation, it is remembered as the sneakers game. It's a memorable moment in NFL history, and uh, we're going to talk about that right now. This game was played on December 9, 1934 at the Polo Grounds in New York City, and uh, the National Football League has gone on to remember this game as the sneakers game, and we'll find out about that in just a second here. It was a rematch of the two teams that played in the 1933 League Championship Contest and the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants facing off. Bears entered the game as the favorites. Like we said, they hadn't lost a game all season and they'd beaten the Giants twice earlier that season. Now weather, the great equalizer set in and John Mara, the Giants treasurer, noticed that the turf of the polo grounds was practically a sheet of ice hours before kickoff. Now Mara let the coaching staff know, including team captain Ray Flaherty about the field condition and Flaherty's thoughts went back to a game he remembered that he and his team at Gonzaga College had played with a very similar icy conditions where they took off their cleats and put on basketball shoes to try and gain some better traction. Now the equipment personnel, the Giants, they didn't have sneakers in hand to put on all their players so they raced over to nearby Manhattan College to borrow that school's basketball team's footwear. Both teams struggled with the traction at the onset of the game, but right about then is when head coach Steve Owen deployed his secret strategy and his receivers and backs put on the limited amount of sneakers that they had on loan, and the G-men had gained a definite advantage and scored four touchdowns in the final stanza to surprise the Chicago Bears with a 30-13 Giants victory and winning their second National Football League championship. And remember, they came in in 1927, so this is seven years in. They were winning uh, two NFL championships. I'm sorry, 1925 they came in, winning two NFL championships in that uh, short amount of time. That is uh, quite an accomplishment there. We have a great picture of that championship Giants team uh, on Pigskin Dispatch for the accompanying article that you can follow through the show links and uh, get to. And just a really interesting season, 1934, and uh, one that's uh, going to be remembered for that sneakers game especially and the founding of the Detroit Lions franchise. So we're so glad you were able to join us for this little bit of uh, football history on the pro game of uh, 1934, and we hope you'll join us again next time for some more great football history. Until then, have a great Gridiron Day. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey, 
Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. 